Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loved us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. since quarantine has started i know it's i think it was a couple weeks ago i i get i get um new yorker um the magazine in the mail and the talk of the town was was a reflection like it was a so there's a column called talk of the town right and and there was an opinion editorial about and it was named 52 weeks later and um just was you know really a well a well-spoken writer in the middle of new york city writing about you know, how the quarantine has affected people, how the quarantine, how this time of a year in quarantine has affected people's social anxiety, has affected how people don't necessarily know how to interact with one another anymore, how the world has inexplicably and undeniably changed. Um, but our God remains the same. And I think that uh, this Lenten season has been really reflective of that. So, uh, just another disclaimer. This disclaimer comes every week with Romans. This is not my words. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and we give thanks to it and we honor it and we try our best to live it out. And I pray that this Lenten season, in the midst of um, seeing the oppression of our brothers and sisters, um, seeing members of our own community uh, being brutalized, uh, that we would still find hope in, in, in God's glory. Um, we're just going to continue through Romans, if you guys can open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, uh, we are reading through, um, I'm going to be skipping around through Romans chapter 14, uh, but we'll be reading through verses uh, 1 through 9 and then 13 through 19. Um or maybe even a little further. It's Holy Week, which means that this is the week where Jesus is on that donkey and, you know, everybody's, you know, laying down those palm branches saying Hosanna in the highest because they all think that Jesus is going to be the next Moses and save the Jewish colony from the Romans. Um, so even though we do this every week, I pray that we can hold God's word with reverence um, in this moment right now to give it the utmost respect it deserves. This is the word of the Lord. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks 
to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit. Therefore, thus, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just take some time uh, to pray. Abba, we come before you today as your children. Abba, we come before you today with the full knowledge that everything in this world cannot compare to you. And Abba, we just submit before all that you are doing, all that you are doing in your people. God, I pray for hearts to be open to hearing you, for eyes to be opened to serving the body because you love us. I pray, God, for hearts to be softened and malleable to your word. Most importantly, God, I pray that every single word that me leaves my mouth is not mine, but it is yours. I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that only you are magnified and glorified. And I pray, God, for every room, that every single person in this ministry who is present and not present, for every single person in which listen to you, God, and, and, and are here with us as a family, whether or not they are observing this service, I pray that you would inhabit that space right now. God, that your heart would be made clear to that believer. Father, that your spirit would fall upon the heads and the minds and the souls of every single person who is hearing and not hearing this prayer right now. God, that you would bring clarity upon every single brain. God, that every work of warfare would be diminished would be obliterated right now in the name of Jesus, for your blood covers every soul and every heart. So God, we give you glory right now. We pray for peace. We pray for a release, Father, from anything that we have come into agreement with, any lie, 
any insecurity, any sin that we have come into agreement with that is not of you. We pray for a release right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The main, I don't have, you know, um, today's title, Judging and Stumbling. Today's title is Judging and Stumbling. Judging and Stumbling. The main idea for today is love on others actively by not judging or stumbling them. I'm going to say that one more time. Love on others actively by not judging or stumbling them. Okay? I'm going to give us some context about this passage because I, I realize that this passage can be, um, it's strong. For those of y'all who might have been like, you know, Romans has all been about things that are heady, things that are in, in the mind. This is a moment where you can really be aware of the fact that it's not, it's not heady. It's not, it's not, this passage is very much so application. And so I just want to give us a little bit of context before we, we move forward. See, today's passage is about, there are two groups in the church of Romans. Okay. In the church of Rome, there are two groups. One group is the group that is, that are Jewish Christians. So they, um, they have lived in Jewish customs all their lives up until the point where they believed in God and believed that he has resurrected from the dead. And so they still act in Jewish laws and customs. Um, I believe the terminology for them today is messianic Jews. Although I don't know if all of them apply in this. I don't want to put blanket statements, but, but it's Jews that have do that do believe in the Mosaic law, but believe that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And then there are Romans, other Romans or other, um, Gentiles, or, you know, even Gentiles can fall under this messianic Jewish bubble. And then the Gentiles or the people who aren't messianic Jews, uh, who don't observe Jewish laws and customs. Right. So that's the, that's the context of this passage. So there are people who live out faith in two different ways, and that is a legitimate expression of their faith. Um, one is very law based, uh, very keen on following and observing customs and laws. And one is not thus, you know, faith is not determined by, by what people are doing or not doing. Um, and I also want to bring into context the other 13 chapters of Romans, right? There's this, don't rely on your works, but rely on faith. What makes you God's child is not how much you obey him, but it is the, the fact that Christ died for you, whether or not you are willing to receive that and make that a part of your life. That is in and of itself, your decision to allow that to change you, that is an encounter. For those of you guys who are like, I don't know if I've encountered the living God. Your willingness to believe in a God who has saved you, that is an encounter. That faith is what determines our identity as Christians. You know, Romans 8 says that we are 
We are children of the Most High God. It says that we have been given authority through Christ by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. It says that nothing on heaven and on earth can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8.28 says, For in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. It says that every single thing in your life Whatever is going on, whether it is good or bad, whether the devil is trying to thwart the blessing that God has in your life, God is constantly taking all the sin and the suffering of this world, everything that can possibly go right or wrong in this world, he's using everything for the good of his, of his people and his body. And it talks about sin. You know, Paul talks about sin. Paul talks about works of the law. Paul talks about how we... We cannot just give into our desires of the flesh. On the other end, he talks about how we cannot overemphasize our, our works. Uh, he says we cannot overemphasize our successes. And then we get to this point where he starts talking about this application. Romans 13 and 12 talked about sincere, active love. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Now that God loves us, now that we are children of the Most High, now that we are children of faith, what does it mean to love your neighbor? And then God brings this passage into account through Paul with this context of these two different groups of people who exist in the same church but believe in faith very, very differently. Um, I want to make a distinction. I want to I just break down a little bit of what is going on here because I think it is very important what Paul focuses on and what Paul doesn't. The first thing though that I want to focus on, he calls, okay, let's say you see, and I'm not trying to call anybody out here. I'm not trying to call anybody out here, but I, it, it's important to see what Paul is saying here in a way that is culturally, culturally relevant to us. I'm going to describe to you two Sunday, two Christians side by side. Okay, there's one Christian who loves the Lord. He or she is, she or he or she is reading the Bible or she or he is reading the Bible um, every day, has insecurities, has struggles, has desires that sometimes they fall into and they choose to continue to chase after the Lord. They might have a drink or two here and there. They might have food here and there. They might um, make some mistakes here and there, but they're quick to come back to the Lord. They're involved in the life of the church, uh, but they are not necessarily, and they're completely participating, practicing Christians. Okay. And then there's this other picture of somebody who has never missed a Sunday in church, somebody who has never committed a sin, somebody who has never done anything wrong. And every time this person slips up, maybe reads one less verse in the Bible for their daily Bible reading, or maybe this person hasn't focused enough on, on their prayer throughout the week. And they are very discouraged. And they're like, no, I'm going to make up for it, Lord. I'm going to read double the amount next week. They've done nothing wrong. Never, ever broken a rule. They post about it on Instagram and Facebook. You, they publicly share their QTs. You know their QT life so well just by being a follower. You know what's going on in their church so well just by following them on social media. Because even though you can't see anything else about their faith, you can still, you can, you, even though you can't see anything else about their life on their social media, you can see that you can, you'll learn about their faith for sure. 
There are these two types of Christians that exist. Okay? In this church right now. I'm not saying in our life today, I'm not, I'm not going there so you don't go there. Okay? I'm not going there. You won't go there. We, we all, let's not go there. We're just describing in a way that is relevant what's going on in this church. Who is the group of people that Paul describes to have weaker faith? It's the one who has done no wrong and overly condemns themselves over their sins and breaking. It's the one who has done less that is outside of the realms and the boundaries of faith. Now, is Jane Doe saying, go out there and wall out? Over my dead body. Just kidding, I'm just kidding. Why would I say that? I'm a pacifist. But... <laughs> But I'm no, I'm not watching you. But I am, I am alive, and functioning, and here, and in mass. You know, you you know, you can run, but you can't hide. Um, Jane Doe is definitely not saying to wild out. Please do not go telling your parents, your siblings, your children to wild out. That is not what Jane Doe is saying here. Um, however, Paul says. That one group is weaker and one group is stronger. And it is not the group that struggles with sin openly. Here's why. The reason why, it's not all, oh, yeah, legalism, like, yes, 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 like, don't have Instagram faith. Yes, yes, yes. Jane Doe has said this over and over again. Yes. And I will say, like, this, we in Massachusetts, we are not, we are not in the middle of, we are not in the middle of Camden, New Jersey. We are not in Compton. We are in, this is, this is North Boston, Korean United Methodist Church in Andover, Mass, right? I mean, yeah, Lawrence is right there, but we are in Andover, Mass, right? I am not saying um, that the way that you all have grown up is wrong. By no means. It's a great thing. It's a great thing that some of the kindest people, some most innocent people I've ever met <laughs> uh, have been here, you know? Um, and that's, it's not to say that that's bad by any means. Paul makes the distinction that the person who is free to struggle and wrestle and is a fully participating Christian who does not take Old Testament restrictions upon themselves in a way where it, I, it crushes them, where it has, it is directly proportionate to their closeness to the Lord. He says that these people's faiths are stronger because what they are believing in is theologically true. That they have freedom to express their faith without the restrictions of law in order to be righteous. I'm going to say this in another way. Turn it another way. What he's saying is their faith is stronger, number one, because the grace that they believe in is theologically true, and number two, because they are believing that God will love them and still be close to them outside of their works. Because it is easy for those of us as believers to think that our works 
will define how much God loves us or how close we are to God. Oh, Jane Doe reads more of the Bible than me. Therefore, she is closer to the Lord. I am your pastor, but I don't, even I don't necessarily believe that that's the case. I believe that I can hear her more clearly, that I'm a more mature Christian, but not that I am any closer to God. I don't believe that God works that way. Maybe I'm not a fair enough comparison. Maybe some devout people in our, in our, in our body, right? Maybe you'll be, maybe you'll compare yourself. Well, I, I don't read the Bible nearly as much as this person. I'm clearly not as much as, as much of a church OPPA as this person, you know, I'm clearly not, sorry, Amy, throwing you under the bus. I'm clearly not the director of Arise, right? So I must not be as in tune with God as much as this person is. To that, I say no. There is a clear misunderstanding that you are having about the relationship between your works and your relationship with the Lord. The reason why we are free to engage in our relationship with God is because our relationship with God does not depend on how much we act. It is not performative. But in this weaker faith category, this person who gets really bogged down by doing worse in the faith, who gets really discouraged, to some extent they are not believing for the truth that God will love them no matter what. That there is some level of transaction that needs to take place in order for them to be Christian, in order for them to be practicing. But see, if you take this approach, you will constantly be in a place of discouragement. You will constantly be in a place of debt to God. And that is why this is the weaker faith category. We have talked about this. This is an overarching theme, recurring theme in the New Testament. But it's, it brings it into perspective when call, Paul calls it weaker faith and stronger faith. So those are the two categories, right? And then he says, welcome and do not judge one another to both sides. He mentions, do not have divisions that are caused by argument. Do not quarrel over opinions, right? This, this understanding of, of divisions caused by argument, when you, when you translate it woodenly, it is quarreling over opinions. Like, I believe this and you believe that, and we don't agree, so we're fighting, right? But the word division here has deeper impetus and so and therefore it also has deeper consequences right it means it can mean separation it can go on to mean segregation it can go on to mean discrimination and it can go on to mean differentiation now to some extent I believe that every single person who is listening to this message will feel Ugh, if you really are open to hearing this. That's because America by nature is so fragmented that we have all participated in the separation of groups based on opinions, based on thoughts, based on beliefs. We have all participated in the fragmentation of the body the ethnic segregation of the body, 
the ideological, theological discrimination and differentiation of people's faiths. I'm going to put it into perspective. Separation and segregation happen so easily in social media over anything. Cancel culture, politics, ethnic ethnicity, ideology, location. I don't even, interests. Everything is based on common interest. And everything is separated based on common interest when it comes to America. And that bleeds into the body of Christ. Think about it. When was the last time you saw a vote happen in a bill in Congress where the vote consisted of a healthy number of both Democrats and Republicans for yay or nay? When was the last time? Another thing to take into consideration is we tend to do this thing. Now, and I'm not shaming people for, for doing this by, by any means, but, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z, like we do this thing where we filter through our friends based off of whether or not we agree with things. That, that, can be, that can be considered this as well. That's just an example of segregation based on common interests. When was the last time you were in a space where people thought differently than you? I know for us people of color, a lot of us people of color, it's also a matter of you know, fear of threat, to harm, threat of harm to your body. So for me, I wouldn't necessarily jump into a sea of angry white men because I'm a small Asian girl and I don't know what would happen to me. That's just, that's just, I wouldn't necessarily throw myself into that, right? But sometimes we do it to a point where it's unnecessary. I think an, an example of that is cancel culture. People make mistakes. Today, like for example, today, today, well, I'll go into this in a little bit or no, I can go into this right now. Today, like for example, like people can make mistakes anytime. And I think this is something like everybody just needs to hear, right? Like. I don't know if we mention it or we even address it in our own lives, but people make mistakes and people acted differently in the 2000s than they did now. One really good example, I grew up in the hood. So um, something like the N-word was not, there was no PC culture back then. And I was surrounded by, I was, surround, I was surrounded by my black friends, right? And I was that, I was that token Asian. Um, and their way of welcoming me in was to address me in particular ways. And one of those ways was the N-word. I was called the N-word by my friends. 
and I we address one another by something like the N-word, right? Um, there have been, I understand that my situation is very particular. I understand that Andover Mass is very, very homogenous. And so when people use the N-word, they mean it that way. And if, and I am not, I am not schlepping my situation with people who use that word as a derogatory insult. But I am saying that I have used that word growing up with my black friends because that was what was acceptable in that time. It is, I do everything in my power to not slip up these days because of PC culture and cancel culture, right? And people have made mistakes like that. And obviously like in any given situation, it's not acceptable to use that word, right? But as a girl, as a little girl who was welcomed in by other little boys and girls who grew up, we all grew up really tough. We were really exposed really early. There was no sense of, there was no sense of vetting that I could do in my brain. If my, if my black friends were calling me that and giving me clearance to call them that, right? Because it was just a term of endearment. Um, but it's no, in no way acceptable. But that was a mistake I made back then that today, when I think about it, I am ashamed about it. I don't want anybody to come across me using that word because I don't want to be, I don't want it to be blown up and used against me out of context, right? But in, in, in cancel culture, there is no room for redemption. There is no room for doing the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing at any fixed point in history, right? Like if you said the wrong thing 20 years ago, it'll be used against you today. And you can apologize for that. Everybody should, even I should. It's not, it's not, it's not right, right? But at, on the other end, there is no room for growth and redemption. And so therefore that leads to the literal segmentation of people out of society. You don't belong with us. You are excluded from this club. People who are genuinely derogatory and racist right now, right? That is a different situation altogether. I am not condoning racial violence. I'm not condoning negative action, but I am saying something about the, the reality of cancel culture that is toxic. And it is the hyper segmentation and segregation of individuals, which means that people in the bubble have no way of growing and people outside the bubble have no way of growing. Okay. And then, and then it gets even worse to discrimination when you are looking down on somebody for their belief. This happens in church settings. There's great tension between people who are liberal and people who are more conservative, right? There's great tension between Pentecostals and evangelicals sometimes. There is great tension between, you know, people who stand on different sides of social justice issues or political issues. And if, if you genuinely believe that you're right, we might have the tendency to look down on another person for not viewing things the same way we do. Well, I'm right, so that must mean that you're wrong. And then there's this differentiation that can happen. Well, this, this thinking is morally, theologically superior. And this level of thinking is, is, is inferior and 
morally in, in a morally and theological in a moral and theological way well th this is the good stuff and this is you know sloppy seconds these divisions in the body starts over arguments or opinions and paul combats this kind of division with the words welcome and do not judge one another What he means by that, he's saying, do not adopt a judgmental attitude towards another person. Because, and, and Paul's, Paul's, like Paul's reason for this is not just because it is morally wrong. Paul's reasoning for this is because God is judge. Paul's reasoning for this is not whether or not you are right or wrong. Paul is not saying, do not judge another person because you're most likely wrong. Paul is saying, do not judge another person because that is bad. Paul is saying, do not judge another person because you are not the judge, God is. In other words, judgment or overzealous contempt or judgment towards another person or a friend or an individual comes out of a mis mistaken understanding of your place. It is as though a witness got up and said, I'm going to be the judge now. Clank, clank, clank. You've, you're wrong. And Paul is saying, as long as you are not judge of the world, Stay away from acting within what is only God's right. It's not even about your moral standing. It's not about your identity. It's just about your place and relationship, not with other people, but with the Lord. Paul is saying, God is living and breathing and active. Don't overstep what is his. And he explains this as we will all have to explain our lives to him. Y'all, I know it feels like this world is going to go on forever, but sooner or later, we are going to die. And when we die, we are going to enter into eternity with him. And life is going to be so much better there. <laughs> it's going to be like, think diamond, like, Water that sparkles and it is so clear, you might as well have put diamonds across it, right? Think of sand that is soft and buttery. Think of, think of the most beautiful thing that you can possibly think of. And the place where God dwells will be more beautiful than that. That's where we're going to be for eternity. I can, I can whoop and holler at that because somebody has got to hear that, right? On a day like today, in an age like today, that's where we're headed. But when we get there, God's going to be like, so, <laughs> I mean, I love you. You're here now. So now that you're here and now that we've gotten through all the vetting and, you know, you've made it, you, you know, I'm seeing you, you're my child and everything. Yo, why'd you, what would you, what were you doing down there? 
And imagine you lived your whole life slandering other people. Now, how in God's name are you going to explain that to God? Y'all, this is not a matter of morality. And this is not a matter of you did the right thing or the wrong thing. Because we are all sinners. We have all judged people. We have all slandered. I'm not, I'm not making a blanket statement. But I'm saying none of us are above one another. So I'm not saying this as if you've done that, you're evil. I'm giving the... The scripture in its exegesis, through its exegesis, what I'm, what I'm talking about is the practical advice that this is giving. Paul is saying, look, you ain't going to be here for very much longer. And then you're going to be with the judge. And how the hell are you going to explain that to him? I think Paul is looking out for you I think Paul is giving you practical advice about how to live as a member of the body. Think about it this way. Let's say you are Kylie Jenner's friend. And because you're Kylie Jenner's best friend, you get to enjoy her limousine. You get to enjoy her house. And one day she says, hey, I'm a... I'm gonna be on, I'm gonna go, I'm, I'm gonna take my child and we're gonna go on a month long break somewhere else. Can you, can you house sit for me while I'm gone? You're like, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I'm a little busy, but you know, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it. You know, for you, for my bestie, why not? Right? And you got this whole mansion to yourself for a whole month and you just live in it like you own it. Ruffle up everything, break a few vases or vases and you don't even know how much it cost you know you were washing things and you broke a couple cups you know you're using the fridge and the fridge is getting all dirty there's weird smells coming out of the garbage can you're like you know like lot like literally just perusing the channels at her infinitely long infinitely plushy couch and one day she comes in a week early she goes hey you're like Hey, and she's like looking around at this place that you have acted like was yours, envisioned that it was yours because, you know, all of the wonder and the splendor got to your head. And you misused it. She's like, yo, what are you doing with my house? I imagine that that is how I'm going to feel when I go to heaven. And I've judged way too much. <laughs> You feel me? I feel like this is like, yeah, it might sound like something the world can say, like, oh, don't judge me. Like, don't judge other people. I'm going to do me. You do you, right? And it might sound like similar advice as the stuff that you might find on TikTok and Instagram. But I think that it's very fundamentally different. Because it is honoring and acknowledging who God is in the midst of that. And then Paul describes that we live and we die to the Lord. Day-to-day -day life and even death happen under the Lordship of Christ. That doesn't mean that God wills people to live or die. I don't think that God wills something that has come out of sin. But I do believe 
that God still has authority over everything, right? But everything we do is under the lordship of God. And so Paul is introducing this concept of action that acknowledges God and acknowledges your place. What's the one thing in common between the weaker faith and stronger faith, faith versus works, and this situation where you're not supposed to judge another person? What's the one thing in common between those two very different situations? In both, the main thing that is fundamentally in common is whether or not you are acknowledging God in the way that you live your life. How much are you acknowledging that you are under grace? Or are you choosing to still live your life as though your works will save you? As though your success will be greater than what God can give you? How much are you still living as though you are a good enough individual or not even, who cares about whether or not we're good or bad, but as though you have the authority to make statements about another person that is just any level of inference or judgment, where you have concluded something about somebody. And I think one really important thing about the word judging has also to do with sentencing. See, Judging is not just like, oh, you good, you bad. Like, yeah, we judge. We might naturally, we might naturally not be able to help but to jump to conclusions about somebody or think something about somebody, right? Because of what we see. We might process, it might just be a matter of processing information and we're just like, oh, this person lives this kind of life or this person lives that kind of life, right? But the thing about judging is measuring value. When a judge sentences a criminal, when a judge sentences civil law, they are making a conclusion based on all the facts about what this person deserves. What God is saying through Paul is, acknowledge me, I am the one who gives value to everybody, including you. That is why no matter how much you do something wrong, your value doesn't change because I gave you your value. In the same way, don't be quick to jump to conclusions about another person's value. I say that, you know, I don't always like everybody. Anybody who knows me knows, you don't mess with me. You might not see that because I'm your pastor right now, but if you met me as an individual before I became a pastor and you messed with me, we would run into problems, okay? And, and I'm not saying that as somebody who loves everybody, who skips through, like it is sometimes hard to love people, especially when they ruffle your feathers, right? However, you must acknowledge God in the way that you think about other people and in the way that you measure their value. You can see and observe things in other people, but that doesn't mean you gotta talk about it. That doesn't mean you gotta jump to the conclusion in your mind, oh, this person is that much. That is God's. Only God knows 
where that person is headed. And only God knows the substance of that person's heart and character. That was never left to you to determine to begin with. Process information is insofar as it gives you wisdom and discernment about how to love this person or how to be in relationship with this person, but you don't got to jump to that conclusion. That ratchet person that says that they believe in God, but ain't nobody know if they believe in God, you don't got to jump to that conclusion. It is not up to you whether or not they are saved. That is not yours to determine. So don't go there. Acknowledge God in your mind. That's what Romans 12 is talking about. When we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord and we let God transform the habits of our thoughts, the substance of the way that we think, this is a practical way to do it. Don't jump to judgment about somebody. Even if you observe things, you just don't got to go there. On the other hand, even if you don't, you know, like Jane though, I'm good. I don't do any of these things. I'm pretty good. I will say this. Paul makes a very clear distinction. He says, we live or die to the Lord. Even if you do all the right things in church, outside of church, even if you don't judge people and you love people, if God is not in the midst of your thought process, you have got to reevaluate why you think you are a good person. Are you acknowledging God in the way that you think in relationship to other people and in relationship to yourself? Because if you're not, that's just common morality. Paul is saying, center God, acknowledge God, know your place simply because you know who God is. Because God has shown you grace, you have grace over you. Nothing that you can do is ever too shameful, too far from God's grace. You haven't encountered anything. You don't know the level of spirituality that I might know. That's fine. That doesn't determine whether or not God loves or doesn't love you. God loves you. That doesn't change. You receiving that it is a product of grace, that's humbling. On the same end of this, Judging another person. That person is God's to judge, not yours. You don't got to go there. It's all about acknowledging God, having God stay in his proper place. You might say, Jane, though, what if we don't agree with people? How do we talk to people? If I don't agree with somebody and they keep fighting in my face, and to you I say, I feel you. You know that person that doesn't agree with you but still keeps talking? Even though it's clear that nobody's going to change their mind? I love them, but sometimes it drives me nuts. And so if you, if that's you, if you're thinking like, what if we don't agree with them? Like, I don't know how to talk to somebody that I don't agree with that keeps trying to fight. To you, I say, I feel you. But here, let me challenge something, okay? That every, that every single group in this, in this society right now does not challenge. And that's, 
Why does disagreement mean that we can't be in the same group? Just because you and I don't see eye to eye. Sometimes you, okay, to give an example, sorry to give an example. I, oh no, to give an example. This is a really good example. Songi and I, we are the direct opposites in the MBTI. So she's an ISFJ and I am an ENTP. There's nothing that we have in common. Which means that I'm an extroverted thinker. She's an introverted feeler. She's very sensei, which means she's in the moment. And she's a J, which means she's very, very practical, very pragmatic, very focused on what she has to do. I'm an ENTP, I'm an intuitive, so I'm constantly thinking of ideas. I'm perceptive, which means I don't have plans or I, I have a hard time with plans, right? We don't see eye to eye at all. But does the fact that we don't function the same way mean that we cannot be in the same group? Because when there are differences to that level in personality, people are gonna piss you off. Sometimes my little sister pisses me off to no end. It's just called being siblings. I know y'all can think of a time when you make your sibling cry. I'm sure most of y'all can think of a moment where you are arguing with your sibling and they start crying. You're like, I don't know what to do anymore. Just because y'all don't see eye to eye, does that mean y'all can't be a part of the same family? It's difficult, but why does unity have to be broken based off of our convenience? Sometimes I think the words, and I, I'm just gonna blatantly say it, sometimes the words surrounding yourself with good energy, the words good vibes only, who is the determiner of the good vibe? Your good vibe? Then what is good vibes only? What is that? Are you saying that you're only gonna surround yourself with people that you get the same vibe that you have yourself? That is okay sometimes, but that is not church. It's not what it means to be a family. There's practical unity despite and through difference. And the last part of this passage goes into not stumbling one another with your freedom. Paul says, those who see no need to avoid ceremonially, ceremonially impure food at the common meal of believers should not hold those who refrain from such food in contempt or put their freedom on display. What this means is, so this is ultimately about some people who feel like they can only eat vegetables and some people who feel like they, can, they, they are free to eat meat. When I read this passage and Paul says the people of weaker faith only eat vegetables, I laugh internally because I love kogi, right? Now, I know that that's taking way out of context, but just because Paul is saying, yes, you are free to eat whatever you want to eat. But when it comes to the body, if this is going to stumble another person, maybe don't eat that at church. I think that is extremely practical. And this is, this is not, you might say, Jane, though, is that fair? Doesn't, if this person has the freedom in Christ to eat whatever they want, to drink whatever they want, isn't that 
unfair to restrict them of that right here in this space? Yes, if your priority is your freedom. See, being a member of the body, your priority, at least communally, is not your freedom. Christ says, greater love has none than this, than one who lays his life down for friends. If the fundamental characteristic of church is love, then your freedom ain't got nothing to do with it. God has given you the freedom. Great. That's amazing. He has given you the freedom and you have the faith to do it. Don't stumble another person. You might then also say, Jane, is this, because I've seen this passage be used to tell girls to dress modestly because they'll stumble boys. To that I say no. I do say there is no reason to bear every inch of skin that is societally acceptable. Especially not when ajumas and harmonies are running right, right past. There is, no re there is no reason. There is no reason to do that. There is no reason to do that. That might stumble them. Right? There is just no reason to do that. But I will say that it might have to do possibly with loving one another. So if you are just loving certain people, Maybe not girls and boys, but maybe young and old. Maybe first gen and second gen, right? If you know that certain things are going to really, really stumble another, another grandma's faith or another greater person's faith, as much as a challenge is good, chill. My reaction to this is just chill. You can wear whatever you want. You do you, okay? And that is not in any way misogynistic and it is not empowering. It is not disenchanting woman's power. Not anything like that, okay? Just chill. Think about the people around you. Be mindful of others. Don't just go the opposite route and be like, oh, woman's empowerment. I'm gonna do whatever I want and I'm not gonna care about anybody else around me. And that applies to men as well, that applies to all genders, that applies across generations, okay? Don't stumble one another with your freedom. The goal is not individual freedom, but peace and life in the church. Why? It might cause those of weaker faith to lose faith. And People with weaker faith regarding these things, they might have been shamed about it, so it can even trigger them, right? A commentary that I was reading said, don't let the good thing that is yours become the object of slander. Match, match the pace of those around you, not because you don't have the freedom, but because you love them. Just look around for a bit, okay? Match the pace of those around you because you love them.
We all have an instinct for power within us. But this is not about power. This is just about practical love. Let me give you an example. I am fully free to drink. But that doesn't mean that I will drink in front of y'all. It does not mean I'm going to take a beer into service and be like, ah ha 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 ha. Partially because that's rude to Hananim. But partially because there is no need for that. What, stumble all of you guys at the expense of my freedom? If you hold me to that kind of standard, why don't you hold yourselves to that kind of standard? All of y'all would be stumbled if I did that. So you wouldn't want me to do that, no? What about y'all? You are just as important as me in the life of the church. Your role, your presence is important because God says that you are. The next time you post something on social media, the next time you choose to do something or other, think about the people around you. Think about your family. That is your spiritual family. Ask yourself, is this loving of me? Not am I allowed to, but is this loving of me? Those are two very different questions, okay? Fundamentally different questions. How do we apply this? The first thing has to do with freedom in Christ. Clearly, the measure of faith has to do with how much you can embrace your freedom. Some of y'all might not feel free. There might be things, lies that you have come to believe in, places of shame in your heart that you cannot undo, that you might need to bring before the Lord. Some of y'all might be trapped by your view of your own works in regards to your faith. Are you free? Are you free to believe that God has shown you grace? Are you free to believe that nothing you do will separate you from the love of God? Are you free to believe that you can be content in every circumstance because God is with you and for you? Even if you might not have had the same faith that I do. Because there is no distinction between you and me on the basis of our works. The second thing is we live and we die for the Lord, says Paul. It's very clear. He says we live for the Lord. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. If we eat, we eat to the Lord. If we drink, we drink to the Lord, right? Are you living for the Lord? Although your life might be exemplifying Christian values, are those things happening because you are acknowledging God? Or are you just doing that because those are your values? If those are your values, good. You already have the habits in place. Now acknowledge God. If those are not your values, consider him. Consider who God is. Don't just serve for the sake of serving. Don't just love on people because that's what you want to do. 
Do it for God. Do it because God loves you. Do it because God served you. On a day like this, on Palm Sunday, do it because Christ laid his life down. We can lay our lives down for one another because Christ laid his life down. We have freedom. It's not based on your works. We can live for God. We can acknowledge God. And in the midst of that, we can also surrender our freedom in moments for the sake of loving one another, for the sake of doing faith together because God laid our life, his life down for us. That is our basis of action. That is our basis of life. What are you how are you incorporating God into your process? There are practical unity and differences. Yeah, we got to listen to one another. I have this nag nasty habit that I've been trying to break for years, and it's cutting people off. Let them finish. Let them finish talking. Don't just jump to conclusions because you, don't dis you disagree with one sentence. Let them finish. You don't know what they're gonna say afterward. Remember God when you jump to a conclusion about somebody. Yeah, you can observe something in somebody. Nobody's perfect. If you expect people to be perfect, you're like, what's wrong with them? That's weirder. Where have you seen an example of perfection that you can say, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with you? Right? Nobody is perfect in this world. Why do you think that all of a sudden this person is going to be better? If they do something wrong, they did something wrong. They did something wrong. But you don't got to make a judgment about a person. You can acknowledge God and say, God, you are judge. I'm a, I don't know what went on there. I'm going to just be here. <laughs> and you, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in their heart, but you know what's going on in their heart, you know? I don't know what's going on, but you do. Decision makers in the church should conduct themselves with charity and patience toward believers who differ, differ from them. Even if people think differently than you about God, about politics, about government, and this, this, I am saying this to myself, we have got We've got to, we have got to be patient and charitable. Keep the peace. I'm not saying don't ever go out and protest on the streets. I'm not saying that your voices that, can't, that are saying this injustice is wrong is bad. That's not what I mean by keeping the peace. I don't mean don't ruffle any feathers. That's people pleasing. Sometimes to show up and say, hey, this is wrong. That is showing up for the sake of unity. So I'm not saying don't do nothing, okay? But I am saying be patient. Don't just engage in tactics that can damage faith of other people. Be patient, be patient. Sometimes when it comes to me, I will refrain from drinking in front of other people out of patience. I don't got a lot of it, but God is growing me every day. Patience, look around. Don't just look inward, look around, look up. I'm gonna end with this. Pastor Choi talks about 
and I've said this multiple times, but Pastor Choi has talked about a theology of the boundary, right? There's a house with many rooms. In one room, there might be Sunday school, younger Sunday school. In one room, there might be older Sunday school. In one room, there might be younger junior high. In one room, there might be older junior high. In one room, there might be younger high school. In one room, there might be older high school. In one room, there might be younger college, or actually just college. In one room, there might be young adults. In one room, there might be families. We are all in different stages of life. But there's a living room. And there's a dining room. There are common bathrooms. Sometimes, boundaries and lines of difference are not opportunities for division, but they are opportunities for unity. Sometimes to acknowledge, hey, you are different from me. You are in a different generation than me. You speak Korean, I speak English. You're white, I'm Korean. You were born in Korea, I was born in the US. You're in high school, I'm in college. You're in middle school, I'm in high school. Sometimes that line doesn't have to be a line to say stay in your corner and I'm gonna stay in mine, but it can be an opportunity to meet at that boundary and be in that same space in our differences. It can be an opportunity for us to meet in the middle in a healthy way. Because if we were to have the misunderstanding that we had all things in common, then we're gonna get disappointed. Why is this person being so immature? Why is this person not understanding me? How come this person operates on a different culture? I can't talk to this person, we don't speak the same language. But when the boundary is clear, you're like, okay, we are different in this way. It doesn't just have to be an opportunity for division, but it can be an opportunity to show up. Say, hey, you and I are different, but we are in the same family. It also means the Korean church looks very different from the American church. A lot of times there's hangrakyo, which is Korean school and in, in embedded, like there's, especially in ethnic immigrant churches, uh, it's, it's carriers of culture as much as it is carriers of faith. And sometimes us second gens, we like to judge. And this, not, this is not a Korean thing. This is most, this is actually most second gens these days. Second gen, everything. Second gen, whether or not your, your people group has been in America for a long time or not, right? Usually the younger generation these days, we judge that. God can meet. Different cultures where they are. You can be Korean Christians. You can be Latino Christian. You can be white Christian. You can be Filipino Christian. You can be Taiwanese Christian. Mongolian Christian. Nigerian Christian. South African Christian. Australian Christian. You can be those things and have a different way of professing faith, have a different way of praying, and that's not wrong. I believe in a global Jesus. I believe in a Jesus that has undone everything as a Palestinian Jew, 
so that he can show up in my friend's Filipino circumstance and context. He can show up in my Korean American context. He can show up in my friend's Mongolian context. He can show up in my friend's German context. And we can all practice faith differently and believe in the same God. Our parents and I can pa practice faith differently. I might not do sebeki though. I might not do early morning prayer the way she does. I might not go out on the streets of Penn Station and evangelize every day, but we believe in the same God. Don't be afraid of the boundaries. Don't be afraid of your differences. Understand that they are opportunities for unity. That's a lot, but we can take this moment to pray. How have you been challenged by this passage? The boundary is a beautiful thing. I always mention them, but I have a couple sisters, right? My gospel choir sisters, who is Jamaican, comes from the Caribbean islands. They're still black. They're not African-American in the same way that other African-Americans might be, right? Even there, there are differences in culture. Within the black community, there are differences. In, within the Korean community, there are differences in culture, right? But the boundary, once difference is established, it can be a place to show up for one another, meet one another in the middle, get to know one another's culture, get to know one another's testimony, learn from one another, grow together. In our families, in our church, in North Boston, as a multi-ethnic, multi-generational English congregation, we can show up for one another. We can be different and be united. Has there been a way that you have struggled in struggle to love one another? Maybe sometimes it was just difficult to see eye to eye with somebody in the body, somebody in your family. Let's lift that up to God. Maybe you have judged another person or received judgment about things that shouldn't affect your identity in Christ. Maybe some of us have church hurts from judgment. Maybe some of us have church hurts from division. Maybe some of us have been left out of cliques. Some of us have been left out of, of groups. Maybe some of us are doing the leaving out. Maybe some of us have been hurt by the undue judgment of our actions and our faith that don't actually affect our identity in Christ. Maybe some of us have done the judging. On either side, it's okay. Come to God. Come to the altar. Receive his mercy in your time of need. Be challenged to love one another past your boundaries, past your borders, past your comforts, because God did that for you. And you can now, you can do whatever, you can do whatever now. You can do it all. Maybe some of us 
have refused to relinquish our freedom and are stumbling some others in the process. Maybe some of us have been stumbled by those in the body of Christ who have acted one way on Sunday and the on a different way the rest of the week. Let me remind you, they have the freedom in Christ that that doesn't actually affect their value. But some of us might have been stumbled by that. This is a moment to heal. This is a moment to come to reconcile with those pains, to reconcile with those confusions that you have experienced and come to the Lord and, and know that God sees you and sees that person and loves you both. Maybe you've been stumbled by the way the first gen are fake. Fake, quote, in, in, in quotes. And are different on Sundays and are different every other day of the week. Right now is the time to come before the Lord and bring that to our God, who is judge. Our God, who is giver. Our God, who is our rock. Our God, who is our deliverer. He knows you, he sees you, he forgives you always if that's a matter of your judgment. He forgives them always if it's a matter of their bad. And he will, he is keen on healing and restoring you, maybe even reconciling you to those people. So can we just take this moment to pray, to lift up our hands, maybe even lift up our voices. Maybe even if you can't pray it aloud, journal about it. Pray in any way possible. Face the ways that you have been hurt by division in the body of Christ. Face the ways that you have hurt others and have been hurt by judgment. Face your freedom and face the freedom of, of other people. Learn to forgive them. Learn to be forgiven. Let's take this time to pray. Lord, we just pray. From wherever you are listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.